you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. In those days, by which Luke means the days following the visit from Gabriel, who had announced to Mary that she has been chosen to bear a baby, not just any baby, but the one who will be called Son of God. Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The angel departed from her, and it is upon the departure of the angel that those days come, when Mary went with haste to see her kinswoman Elizabeth, who lived in the hill country, who lived not in Nazareth, which is, I believe, a most significant detail. On her arrival at Elizabeth's home, the two women meet, one an unwed teenager, the other an older woman long thought unable to bear children, both now pregnant. The child in Elizabeth's womb leaps, and we know that the child she carries is John, John the Baptist. And filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Those of us who have been reading and hearing these stories for years, well, we can just slip right by the significance of this meeting. And so Judith Jones notes, By greeting Mary with honor, Elizabeth overturns social expectations. Mary is an unmarried pregnant woman. She might expect social judgment, shame, even ostracism from her older kinswoman. Yet Elizabeth knows from her own experience the cost of being shamed and excluded. Further, observes Jones, when Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord, she implicitly contrasts Mary's trust in God's power and promise with her own husband Zechariah's skeptical questioning when the angel had come to him with news that Elizabeth would soon be pregnant. Zechariah asked for proof that the angel's word was true. Mary asked for an explanation of what was going to happen to her and then gave her willing consent. Zechariah, the religious professional, doubted God. But Mary, the peasant girl, believed. And her trust in God's word opened the door for God to bless her and to bless the whole world through her. Now, as soon as Luke has described the joyous meeting of these two women, the text makes a significant shift. It goes from being prose to being verse, poetry, even song. 
Words that we call the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Did Luke imagine that Mary was actually singing here? Certainly the Christian tradition has long imagined that this was so. With countless musical settings composed for the Magnificat over the centuries, including the very simple one we will sing here tonight. And at least imaginatively, these are words that can only be truly sung. So powerful is their imagery of the holiness of God's name, of the great mercy promised to those who trust in him, who revere the Lord from generation to generation. It's image of the scattering of the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, the pulling down of thrones, the lifting up of the poor and the lowly and the hungry. This is something of a poetic foretaste of what will follow in the rest of the gospel. As N.T. Wright notes, much of Mary's song is echoed by her son's preaching. As he warns the rich not to trust in their wealth and promises God's kingdom to the poor. And Jesus feeds hungry people. He lifts up broken people. He pushes those in positions of power and privilege to reconsider their assumptions and their ways. And even when he stands beaten and broken before Pilate, he does not capitulate to the power of Pilate's office, of Pilate's throne, so to speak. That shift from prose to verse really quite punctuates these opening two chapters of the Gospel according to Luke. There is first this Magnificat, followed later in this same chapter by what is called the Benedictus, or the Song of Zechariah, uttered by Zechariah as the very first words he speaks, or is that he sings, after Elizabeth's baby has been born and given the name John. And then in the second chapter, we find words that are very clearly identified as being sung by the angels who announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the fields, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace to God's people on earth. And then finally, later in that same chapter, there is one last prose to verse shift. When the aging priest Simeon meets the young couple and their baby in the temple, and taking the child into his arms, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Why has Luke leaned so heavily into poetic verse over these chapters? accenting it in a way that none of the other gospel writers do? Is it because Luke understands that his story stands in the long heritage of the Hebrew scriptures, 
which positively brim with verse and song. Think about it for a minute and consider tonight's reading from the prophet Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. We're clearly into poetry here. With the dry land described as being glad, the crocus rejoicing with joy and singing, the lame are leaping like deer, the tongue of the speechless, the mute, singing for joy. There's a highway cutting through that formerly barren land, a highway that will be called the holy way for God's people. And here's a part that I particularly love in this passage. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. Well, the picture is poetically painted, right? Imagine such a world, Isaiah is saying. Trust that God has imagined it first, and in the fullness of time will bring it to be. We think of the Psalms, which are very clearly songs to be sung. Some of the Psalms are as visionary and hopeful as Isaiah, some jubilant and celebratory in the moment. Of course, there are many, many laments which dare to speak even the hardest of emotions to God, including an oftentimes raw and vengeful anger. What God might do with the cries for vengeance is God's business, of course, but the fact that our scriptures include them is so striking. What you're feeling is not out of bounds, in other words. Throw that anger, those tears, that sense of loss or grief or hopelessness in God's direction and use music to do that because music holds images. Music does deep work in the soul. I like to think that maybe the music for some of those angry, angry psalms maybe sounded less like a church choir with a pipe organ and a whole lot more like punk rock. Or that the laments, they maybe sounded a whole lot like the Delta Blues. No mistaking the emotions in that kind of music. So maybe Luke really understood the power of music and poetry, which is why he was so intent on passing along Mary's song and Zechariah's song and Simeon's and that of the angels. But hey, ironically, I'm using prose to try to say something about how powerful it is to tell the truth in music and verse. So let me close by reading to you the first verse of a hymn, a hymn written by an American Baptist minister, Robert Lowry, in the mid-1800s. Lowry wrote, My life flows on in endless song, above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far-off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. 
how can I keep from singing? How could Mary keep from singing? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, who has looked with favor on my lowliness. And so with her this night we sing, Holy, holy, holy is God's name. My soul plays the something of a bonus for this week, we're including another version of the Magnificat. This one brought to us in 2006 during the Advent season by Jenny Moore. Jenny picked up a hymn text by Timothy Dudley Smith and created her own musical setting, and it's a good one to share. Oh, yeah. His holy name, the Lord. 
stubborn wheels are put to flight. Oh yeah. The hungry fed and the humble lifted high. Tell out my soul the glory of the Lord God. Yeah. Tell out my soul the glory of the Lord God. Glory of the Lord God, yeah. Tell up my soul the glories of His word. Firm is His promise and His mercy sure. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. To children's children and forevermore, more. Tell out my soul the glory of the Lord God, yeah. But tell out my soul the glory of the Lord God, oh yeah. Tell out my soul the glory of the Lord God, oh You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.